because they've been going to APEC for so many years. We've made them honorary Asians already. <laughs> so, no, but I appreciate um, just the, the honor and the privilege of being able to be part of this. Whatever encouragement that I've gotten from you, Pastor Carlton, I can say much of what I am today is because of the person who mentored me, and that's Pastor Steve. And, um, you know, it's when he got me as his associate pastor, um, you know, he, was, he had been a pastor for many years. I've never been a pastor in my life, I guess. Uh, nobody is when you come into this. But he, was, he helped mentor me with great leadership skill. All he, pretty much what he did was to bring me everywhere he went, would go. He would have a staff meeting. He'd bring me there. He would preach. He'd bring me there. He'd, you know, counsel somebody, get the devil out. He'd have me there. Everything that he did... He had me with him, and that's how I learned how to be the leader. And so I got the best mentoring of all. And so I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, 30 years we've been together now. And uh, thank God for the opportunity to be here. Um, yesterday at the pastor's meeting, I was going to say some things, um, just some of the spiritual journey. Hopefully I can weave that into what I'll be sharing with you this morning. But, um, you know, when you remember those beginnings uh, that we were, uh, we were in ministry. In fact, uh, I remember the original building we had in, the second building we had that we rented in Makati was a, really a crummy place. It was a government housing that was cheap, and ironically, it was called Bliss. Okay. And yet, we had some of the most wonderful memories of, of being there. And every ministry has to have its own Bethlehem, if you will. Uh, when I say that, I remember one of the memorable things that happened there was the sewer pipe on the building broke, and there was the, uh, I won't describe it anymore, but it's like, this is really a stable. And, um, but when we, look at, when we look at how God, and I'm sure you have your own same story too, how many of you would, could look back at your own Bethlehems? So don't despise the day of small beginnings, isn't it? That's what the Lord says. Because when you do that, then not only are you grateful, but you can see how God has done that miracle, the multiplication of the loaves that have taken place. Anyway, thank you. Um, what we want to do as, as we wind up this final day in uh, our equipping is, the, again, the importance of the Word and the Spirit to enable us to do the work God's called us to do. And uh, hopefully that was established uh, in my first session uh, on, Monday, on Tuesday morning where we looked at John 14 and how Jesus assures us, his followers, his followers and us, that if you believe in me, you will do the works that I've been doing and even greater works. You, see, you still remember that. What a privilege that those who have faith in him will have that same burden that he has. And that's how you know if you're really a follower of Christ, what he's concerned with. You know, uh, Jesus said of his father, I can do nothing by myself, but I can only do what I see the Father doing. In the same way that Jesus Christ was dependent and dependent on His Father and not doing His own thing, that's the same place where God wants us to be, where we're not just about doing our own thing, but we're only concerned about what He's concerned about. And when we do that, then the promise of sending the Helper will be our assurance that God is indeed with us. And that's the greatest assurance we can have is the Holy Spirit in us. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit is proof that God is with us? 
He said in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. He's the deposit of the eternal life that God has graciously promised us. And so we, need, we, we are so grateful, aren't we, for the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not just to fellowship with us, not just to make God real to us, but to enable us to do the works He's called us to do. That's what we tried to establish uh, last Tuesday. And then, as Jesus promised, uh, He will be our divine enabler. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in order to fulfill the Great Commission, in order to, to preach the gospel God promises, I'm not going to let you do your own thing. I'm going to give you myself in my spirit, through my spirit, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to fulfill the great commission to advance his kingdom. And I believe for the most part, as we've seen and appreciated the ministry of the spirit in our lives, much of what we're familiar with, at least in, in the context of where I, I am in, the, in our nation, we've helped train people to move in the gifts of the spirit. We, we've trained them how to operate in the gifts of prophecy and healing and all of these things. And I, I, I'm sure that's true as well in you because I, uh, I've seen the training materials that um, uh, Carol has prepared, and it's really excellent. I, I believe it's, it's, it's so rich that we want to learn as well from it. But what I want to share with you this morning is this. We want to not only appreciate the Holy Spirit enabling us to do the works, but we want to understand His divine enablement for us is really for the totality of our lives. Everything that we are especially as spiritual leaders, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to do these things. That's why we call ourselves a Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered ministry. We're going to appreciate in a greater way as we look into His Word who the Holy Spirit is and how He enables us in our leadership, in our ministry, to do the works of God. And so if you would, let's turn to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, this is what Paul writes. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Father, I pray that you would anoint the preaching and teaching of your word. Lord, thank you that... Uh, you, uh, you desire for us to enter into a whole new level of spirit empowerment and enablement that we might be effective, that we might accomplish the power of the works that you have called us to do. Lord, we thank you that our competency, our ability comes from you, not from ourselves. We honor you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This was Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, which we know he planted, he established the church and in his first letter, he um, wrote um, to address some issues that were going on in the church. 
Um, we know Paul was a church planter, and he had special affinity, obviously, for the churches that he started himself. Philippi, Corinth, uh, some of the other churches, Ephesus. And in particular, Corinth, as we read the two letters, um, he had commendation because it was a gifted church in many ways. That's where we get the whole teaching on the importance of spiritual gifts, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. But yet in the same breath, they were a gifted church, but they were also uh, quite an immature church. There were divisions, isn't it, in 1 Corinthians 3, and there would be uh, uh, idolatry and uh, food eat, uh, uh, eating food, sacrificed to idols. That's Pastor Carlton, that's my food scripture today, okay? Uh, um, and then he would address issues like immorality and even incest. So it was, um, there were some serious problems going on in the church. And, you know, when I would read this and I think about the problems, how many of you encounter problems in your church? Okay, dealing with people and, you know, dealing with problems. Um, sometimes in my earlier days in ministry, when we would have problems in the church, when I would have to deal with people, I, I, I would get discouraged because I thought well, there, maybe there's something wrong in the way we're doing things. Uh, last night as I was half dreaming and half uh, fighting with jet lag, uh, thinking about this message as Pastor Steve did, I, I, I thought of the time when one of our small group, two of our small group leaders almost had a fist fight, okay, because... You know, the small group was going way too long, and, you know, I had brought correction to one of the small group leaders, and the small group leader told me, get off your high horse, pastor. So, okay, so how, how do you deal with that? Okay, fortunately, I've been already redeemed from, uh, from being a rumble uh, guy, so I, I was able to, you know, uh, just be gracious about it, but he almost had a fist fight. Now, for the record, that's the only one that I remember in the 30 years of ministry that we've been in, so... So it's not the common thing that happens, but it does. Okay, so whatever problems you've had, uh, don't be discouraged. Paul had more serious problems. Hallelujah. And he was a great apostle at that, isn't he? So I realize, you know, people grow up. And sometimes uh, when we get impatient, discouraged with the people, we think, well, you know, something needs to change with these people. And, and I was reminded, even as we were worshiping, one of the prophecies I received from, from early on in my ministry, and the prophecy was this, have patience, O man of God, have patience. I guess, you know, as I was becoming a pastor, and he said, have I not had patience with you? Aren't you glad God is patient with you and me? Come on, so we can have patience in dealing with the people that are under our spiritual care. So anyway, Paul was dealing with this. He addressed it, and now he's right, he writes a second letter, and apparently... Um, in the context of the letter, we won't have time to look into it, he was addressing some other issues. He had, in fact, written a severe letter, as it says. Uh, uh, some, one commentary said it's possible that the, the problem with the guy who was in, in an incestuous relationship, you know, they had rebuked him, but maybe he had overreacted. He was so, he wanted to quit, and they were trying to restore him. So the point was, in the second letter, you know, Paul was still um, encouraging them and being affectionate, but at the same time, his credibility... And his motivation was beginning to be questioned already. What happens when people begin to challenge you? And I wouldn't be surprised if that's not happened in your own context. Um, I remember also in our earlier days, you know, again, we, we wouldn't have too many complaints. But years ago, when I was still a worship leader, you know, one, one member of our church would go up and say, you know, complaining about the music being too loud. Okay? I don't know if that's happened in your church. And Pastor Steve and myself, we would just dismiss it. 20 years later, we're the ones saying that the music is too loud, okay? I think we've gotten old. So, 
what do you do when your credibility? And Paul was saying here, um, you know, he was asking a rhetorical question. Do we need a letter of recommendation to you or from you? Now, he wasn't being sarcastic, but he was trying to impress upon the people that he had discipled and raised up. Don't you see how much I love you and care for you? He was being, you know, we know that he's a great apostle, but in this case, because this was the church he had planted, he was being pastoral in the tone, as you will read the rest of the epistle. He said, don't you realize that, you know, you're questioning my credibility, my motivation. You know, do you need proof of the authenticity of my ministry? You are my proof. You're my letter of recommendation. That's what he's saying here. And again, he could say that because of the nature of his relationship. And I believe the people that you've invested your lives in, the people that you've mentored and raised up, you know, you can speak those words of correction. You can speak. He was uh, qualifying, in fact, uh, the previous verse. Um, we didn't read it. But in verse 17 of uh, the previous chapter, um, the reason he made that statement was because he, it says here, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Apparently, there were many itinerant preachers. It could have been the Judaizers who were trying to preach a false gospel, and it was undermining the foundation that Paul had laid in their lives. So here is Paul trying to not so much establish his credibility. They knew that. But he was answering their whatever their questions in their minds were or any doubt perhaps by telling them, listen, however you evaluate my ministry, what makes my ministry effective is not my own ability, it's the ability God's given me. My confidence, and I think this is something we need to, whenever we face challenges in that regard, and it's not may not just be from the people that you pastor, it may be from the spiritual powers that are arrayed against you, isn't it? We know we deal with spiritual powers everywhere we go. And when you receive that accusation and that discouragement from the enemy, you can go back to what Paul says. My confidence is not just in the calling of God, but it's in the ability that God has given me. He has made me competent. My competence doesn't come from my own ability. Now you have to understand, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was learned, under schooled by Gamaliel. I mean, he had all the natural credentials. But he says again in 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, my preaching was not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. For all the learnedness of Paul, yet he give not, did not give any credit to his own ability. He said, it's, only the, it's a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so your fate might not rest on men's wisdom, but on the power of God. So here was Paul, a learned man, totally depending upon the divine enablement of the Spirit to have him do the works he was called to do by God. And so I want to dwell upon that this morning as we learn. He says here, my competency comes from God. God has made me competent, us, as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And I want to speak to you and, and emphasize on this calling that we have to be ministers of the Spirit. And from here, we can see three the question I want to pose to you is, how do we receive this competency, this ability? Yes, training is important, so I'm not saying that. In fact, training contributes to that. 
But how do we receive this competency, the ability from the Spirit to be His ministers? Dispe- uh, the people who will impart, com- uh, minister the Word and minister the Spirit of God at the same time. I want to share with you three ways by which that's done. Three ways that we are receiving, or three parts. The first one is an understanding of the new covenant. He says, I've called you to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. This is one of my favorite subjects to talk about covenant. Why? Because covenant is the highest way that any person can relate with one another. The Bible makes it clear that He is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. God has revealed Himself. The, the way God relates with His people is always on the basis of a covenant. And you can read through, you know, there's many teachings on that. You know, there are many kinds of covenants. The covenant with Abraham, with, with Moses and the Israelite people and David and so on and so forth. I want us to understand something. God always relates with you and me on the basis of covenant. Covenant is the highest form of relationship that can, any person can ever have. God is, does not relate with us on an acquaintance level. He relates with us passionately because a covenant is an all or nothing commitment. And of course, the greatest example of that from human terms is the covenant of marriage. Marriage is all or nothing, isn't it? And here, he's saying that God relates with us on the basis of a new covenant. Now, apparently, there was an old covenant. And in fact, the Bible is made up of two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant, Old Testament and New Testament. And that covenant, you know, without taking too much time, was one that was given to Moses for the Israelite people after he had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And we know that. And the giving of the Ten Commandments, if you will, was the summation of that covenant term, uh, relationship with God. There were terms and conditions. There were blessings and curses. There were promises and oaths made, if you look at the composition. But here in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, it says that, it is the, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, when he made the covenant with Israel, he put the law in tablets of stone. And he gave them for the people to follow. The problem was Israel, for the most part, was not faithful to the covenant. And, and we're going to understand that because... Uh, that's how we are as well, at least in my own upbringing where I tried to fulfill the Ten Commandments. I couldn't. Why? Because of sin in our hearts. And if you will look at the history, hundreds of years of uh, Israelite history, for the most part, they did not keep their covenant. And so the Lord, in His faithfulness to His covenant, exiled them because they were not faithful to the covenant. But you know, the wonderful thing was this. He said He found fault with the covenant. By God's mercy, even though the people were not faithful to the covenant, he realized, well, I don't know if these people can ever be faithful. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a new covenant instead. He said, and this covenant is going to be different. I'm going to write my laws in their hearts and write it in their minds. In other words, rather than it be an external rules to follow, I'm going to put those rules in their heart. And, that's, and that is a description of what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives. Ezekiel 36 says, this is the new, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to put and remove from your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you to move you to follow my commands. 
What a wonderful covenant. You know how that's possible? Because of the, how that covenant was ratified. It was ratified through the sacrifice, the death of Jesus, and the blood that was shed to ratify that covenant. Because there's no covenant without the shedding of blood. I know this is a lengthy explanation, but the point is, we are recipients of that new covenant. And because of that, we, have, we walk in a new way with God. And we need to be careful when we're ministering to people not to speak in the old covenant context, but in the new covenant context. What I mean by that is you can preach the word in such a way that it brings death to them rather than life, as the Bible says. And that's one thing we need to understand if we're going to be ministers of the Spirit. Paul says it another way, so I'm, I'm taking a bit of time to explain this, because if you get this, it'll change the way you minister in a greater way. So, uh, Romans chapter 8, this is the way Paul framed it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, there it is again, because it was weakened by the, sin, by the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, this is Paul again explaining it uh, from, in, in a, from a different perspective. He says, the covenant, new covenant God with us is explained through two new laws. The law of the Spirit of life and the law of sin and death. And the way we are able to re be recipients of the righteousness of God, of the new covenant, is by understanding that we don't operate in the old law, covenant law, which is called the law of sin and death. What is that? Basically, the law of sin and death is the law, you know, the, the soul who sins is the soul who dies. I used to think that you're supposed to obey the Ten Commandments, as I said. But here we realize in Romans 3, it says, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Do you realize that the purpose of the law was not to make you righteous. At least the old covenant law. The purpose of the law was meant to make you realize that you cannot keep the covenant law. It was to make us conscious of our sin. And the sin points us to our need for a Savior. And that's what Jesus did. So, the, we operate now in a new law called the law of the spirit of life. It says here, the law of the spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. Now, you have to, let me try to put it in, uh, in an illustration. If we still operate in the law of sin and death, then we cannot fulfill the righteous life that God desires, isn't it? And think about this. You know, there's a, such a law as the law of gravity, isn't it? What is the law of gravity, okay? The, what goes up must come down, okay? You jump from the fourth floor, think you're Superman, you're going to know you're not Superman, okay? And so by gravity... If you think about it, an airplane should not fly, isn't it? Why? Because it weighs, what, 10 tons, 20 tons? How can an airplane ever fly by the law of gravity? But the amazing thing is an airplane flies, isn't it? In fact, uh, to this day, you know, my, my children laugh at me because my favorite place is the airport. Why? Because it always fascinates me when I see this 20 tons of steel taking off and then finally it lifts up in the air. Wow. So the question is, by the law of gravity, a plane should not fly. But do you realize the reason an airplane is able to fly is because of a higher law, or a law that supersedes the law of gravity, and it's called the law of aerodynamics. 
And the law of aerodynamics is if you design a fuselage and the wings and angle it in such a way and you provide thrust for it that overcomes the, the, the gravitational pull at a certain speed, this airplane will defy the law of gravity. Okay? That sounds like a song, isn't it? I just remembered Wicked right now, okay? Defying gravity, okay? It's time to start defying gravity. Okay, that's what I remember. Uh, so an airplane is able to fly, isn't it? Now the world says it's only human to sin, isn't it? Nobody can live a righteous life because, you know, we're all human. We're all sin. But they realize through the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Come on, if you fill yourself with the Spirit, if you fill yourself with the Word, you can actually live a life above sin. You don't have to succumb to the law of sin and death. That's the ministry of the Spirit. That's the law. And Galatians sums it up in, say, I say, in 5.16, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Brothers and sisters, when we understand the new covenant, come on, we learn to be led by the Spirit. And your ability to be led by the Spirit enables you to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. Not only will you not gratify the desires of sinful nature, you now have the capacity to be a leader in the work that God's called you to do. Because if you, before you can be a minister, you have to be, learn how to live by the Spirit first. Which brings us to point number two. The second part is this. We are dispensers of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to qualify that. What do you mean dispensers? You know, what comes to mind, you know, when you're in those fast food restaurants, remember you, you have dispensers there, isn't it? And what you need to do is just push your cup, and then the drink comes out. That's what a dispenser is. And what Paul is describing here, sorry, is that we are not only recipients of the ministry of the Spirit, which we've established in the Word, but we are called to dispense, to distribute, if you will, the Holy ministry of the Holy Spirit. He said He has made us competent and ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the Spirit gives life, but the flesh gives death. And last night we learned that, isn't it? When Jesus did the miracle, who, who, when the miracle of multiplication happened, who Performed the miracle. It was Jesus, isn't it? But the question is this. Who distributed the bread? It was the disciples, isn't it? And there was a question earlier on, uh, yesterday morning. Remember we did that exercise? Why did they group them into groups of 50s? Okay, let me give you a non-spiritual answer. How many of you know if a mob of 5,000 people are hungry, when the food comes, it's going to be a riot, right? There's my second food illustration, bro. So... I think Jesus was smart enough to let them sit in groups of 50 each and let them sit on the grass. So when the food comes, come on, they're not going to have to stand up. They're gonna, the food's going to go to them. How many of you know that's a good answer, okay? But the point is this. Jesus made the miracle. It was the disciples that distributed it. 
And I think that's a picture of what we're called to do. Come on, when we come into our worship services, come on, people are spiritually hungry, aren't they? And they need spiritual feeding. And there's nothing that we can give, but Jesus, the bread of life, has that food. But we're called to distribute that food and make it available to the people. That's our role. In fact, I, um, um, there's a scripture in James 5.16. I want to share this. I like the ESV rendering. It says, Therefore confess your, your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then, this is the focus, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I want to dwell on that. You know, we talked about prayer the other night. Prayer, as Pastor Steve said, it's the answers to our prayers, isn't it? That, does, that there the miracle is released. But the point is this, we still need to pray, isn't it? It says here, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That's what the NIV says. But it says here, as it is operating. In other words, the power in prayer is released as you pray. If you don't pray, there's no power. The power is available, but it's through your prayers that it's released. And that's the amazing thing. It's not how loud. Remember, it says here, uh, Paul, I mean, uh, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not. And he prayed earnestly that it did, and it, it did rain. The point is, obviously, we have a participation, but we become the conduit for the power and the ministry of the Spirit to be released when we do our part, which is to pray. We're called to be distributors, not generators of spiritual power. We're distributors. Come on, we're the we're those high-tension cables. Come on, that the Spirit of God and the power of God can flow through. It's when we open that switch, when we do our part. You know, when you think about this word, man, why should we not pray more, isn't it? It's not the amount of prayer we pray. Obviously, it's the faith and the Spirit of God, but it motivates you to say, you know, pray in every, pray in every situation because we know God's power is available for us. And I... Um, you know, when I was in Brisbane just last Sunday, and the Lord had quickened to me to preach um, uh, a word that I don't normally preach, but I felt that like I needed to, to share with them. And, you know, I asked our pastor there for confirmation, and he did. And I'm saying that I've learned that when you are in step with what the Spirit wants to do, then the spiritual power is released. I preached a message out of Jonah. And basically, I, I was telling the church, and, you know, we have a great church there, but apparently the nation as a whole, I've learned, the Aussies are a laid-back people, as they say, okay? And they just enjoy life so much, and there's not much interest in spiritual things. And I told them, if you look at the, remember in, in Jonah, God told him to go to the Ninevites, and then he ran away, and a storm hit the boat that Jonah was in. And all these people, the pagan sailors, were crying out to their God. They were praying while Jonah was sleeping. Can you imagine? The, the pagan people were praying... The, the prophet of God was snoring, okay? And the point I wanted to make was this. The storm that hit, the storm that hit the boat, okay? Many times when we think of the storms that are in our nations, the storms that are in society, we think it's the sinner's fault, right? It's the sinner's. It's their wickedness. But in this case, the storm was not because of the sinner. The storm was because of God's people not doing what God told them to do. And so the only way the storm was come when they threw Jonah out, Okay, and he was swallowed by the fish, and when he was spewed out, bleached and all that, then the Ninevites repented, right? But the point is, when I was just obeying what the, I felt the Spirit 
say, I bounce it off with the pastor. I don't know. I, the last thing I want to do is to speak a word like that to the people. But it seemed like it wasn't dramatic, but you knew that the people were convicted. And they realized maybe that's why there's storms in my life. How many know when, when you do the work God's called you to do, there, the storms will not be with you. The storms will be on the people you're ministering to, okay? No, no, I, I, I didn't. That's not in the Bible, okay? <laughs> the point is, I learned how to, more and more I'm learning how to be led by the Spirit. And as a spiritual leader, Pastor Roger asked me this question. How do you steward the move of the Spirit in your corporate gatherings? And that's a good question. I said, oh, yeah. And that's what helped me in formulating even this message to you this morning. We're called to be dispensers of the Spirit of God. We have nothing to give, but we're the distributors, isn't it? God promises to meet every spiritual need. And so when we learn to be sensitive, it's the Holy Spirit who knows what the people need in that moment. And when you are in tune with Him, when you step out in faith and do the works and step out and obey Him, that's when spiritual power is released. Finally, number three, part of this um, way that God enables us to be competent as ministers of the new covenant is that the ministry of the Spirit will produce fruit in the lives of the disciples. Let me read the rest of this passage um, after, after what Paul had written in verse 6. Verse 7, it says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit even be more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what glory was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And what was, if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. From this passage, we can see Paul is saying, he's making a distinction between the ministry of the letter, which brings death, and the ministry of the Spirit, which brings life. And he said, you'll know this. Remember, he was telling them, you're the evidence. You're the letter of recommendation. The, the work that the Spirit has done in your life is evidence of the grace on my life as a minister. And he's saying this, this is the effect. And I, I, I put here three sets of words, three sets of, uh, three pairs of words that are captured here in this passage we read. He says, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? How do you know if you're ministering in the Spirit? It will bring a greater understanding of righteousness in the lives of the people you're leading rather than condemnation. You know, we battle with condemnation all the time, isn't it? I battle with that myself. 
And in, our, in the Philippines, we battle with the sin consciousness. But we've learned, and I've learned this from Pastor Steve, you have to teach them, have, give them a righteousness consciousness rather than a sin consciousness. Now, obviously, sin will bring, the Spirit will bring conviction of sin. Yes, we're not saying there's no conviction. But more importantly, the more righteous you understand you are by faith, the more you can walk in confidence and do the work God's called you to do. Another pair of words is, is verse 12, Therefore, we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So if, there's, if, if, the, if, if you're ministering in the Spirit, there will be a boldness in the lives of your people. Remember, Proverbs says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Boldness, not arrogance, but boldness is a sign of the ministry of the Spirit in a person. And of course, Pastor Chris spoke about that so well the first night. So I won't need to belabor it. But that's another way by which you can gauge, is your ministry releasing boldness a greater revelation of righteousness in the lives of the people. And finally, number three, now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the ministry that, of the Spirit brings forth a greater freedom rather than enslaving people once again. Now, there's many much, there are many more indicators of the ministry of the Spirit. We haven't even touched on Galatians chapter 5. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit. That's one way you know if you're ministering in the Spirit, you will see it by the love that's produced. You'll see it by the joy in the hearts of the people. You'll see it by the faith, by the peace, by the gentleness. We can know if we're ministering in the Spirit of God instead of being in the flesh. And my prayer for us this morning, and we're going to bring an application to that this, uh, in a moment. My prayer is that the more we learn to be in step with the Spirit, to fellowship with the Spirit, we can we can learn to be, not to be striving or to be anxious about ministry. I'll be honest with you, even coming here and missing, Lord, will they, you know, will they listen? Will they, all these things in my mind coming into a new place. But the Holy Spirit reminded me, remember, you're teaching me this. I mean, apply it to yourself first, okay? Your confidence doesn't come from you. It comes from me. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good. So I'm confident now, okay? Hallelujah. Thank you, yes. You're my friend. No, we wrestle with that, don't we? We wrestle with the enemy's accusation. You know, you're not supposed to be here. You're still struggling with areas in your life. Or, you know, you did this or you did that. Let me tell you, our confidence is our competency comes from, the, from Jesus Christ by His Holy Spirit. Let me just pray. Father, thank you for, Lord, not just reminding us, but Lord, once again, opening our spiritual ears to hear. You said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. I'm asking you right now that faith would rise up in our hearts, that it is you who has called us, it is you who has enabled us. Father, it is you who burns in us, even as we've heard through your word, Lord, in, in the days past. Father, everything that we've learned thus far, Lord, let it come to, Lord, to a saturation point even now. Lord, let us rise up to a new level of confidence in you. Because you're the one. Lord, we didn't call ourselves. Lord, it is you who chose us. We didn't choose ourselves. All you were looking for was a vessel willing to be obedient to the Master. And Father, there's no limit to what you can do in and through our lives. To bless your people, Lord, as we are, learn to be in step with the Spirit. So we ask you now, Lord, rest upon us in a, in a fresh way. Stir up our hearts once again to know that you have called us to be ministers 
of a new covenant. Not to kill, but to give life. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, we want to do this, okay? Um, I know that in some settings you've had training, but I, I believe we can bring an application to this uh, by practicing, okay, if you will, on one another, okay? Uh, I know you're all leaders, so this is a different setting than the ones we normally, when we were, were um, training new people to move in the gifts of the Spirit. When we tell them this is practice, okay? And then we ask the person, are you willing to let your neighbor practice on you, okay? <laughs> this is not practice because you're all competent already. But we want to be channels, we want to be dispensers, if you will, of the ministry of God, of the grace of God, of the encouragement of the Lord to one another. And so what I'd like to do, I'd like to ask you to stand up, okay? And I'd like you to group yourselves into three people each, and preferably people you don't know too well. Better if you don't know the person. Because... It's just easier to minister, you know, to move in the gifts, okay? Okay, group yourselves now. All right. Um, okay, once you group, I'd like to get your attention again. Just introduce yourselves if you don't know them. Once they know the, you know their names, then... Uh, please look up at me. All right. Do you have, does everybody have a group of three? All right. If you don't, just lift up your hand. We'll make sure you're grouped with another person. All right. Looks like you're all in groups of three, okay? What we're going to do is this. We're going to, we use the term activation. It was a phrase that Bill Hammond quoted, um, used before, basically to to encourage you to step out in faith, okay? Now, I know you're all leaders, so this, this won't be a problem, okay? Normally, when we, when we equip young people, we make sure, those who are new, uh, we make sure we bind every weird religious spooky spirit from manifesting, okay? But in this case, there's no need, all right? So, you're all competent. But we do want to encourage one another. How many of you would appreciate an encouragement from the brethren, okay? Okay, so what we'll do is this. You're group, in groups of three, and we're going to do simple activation, one is called prophetic praying. The other one is called basically speaking the word into to their lives. And so what simply is going to happen is this. Your three, person number one uh, and person number two, okay, will first, the first, uh, sorry, one person will give a prophetic prayer to the third person, and I'm going to show you how that's done. And the second one, the second person will give a word from the scriptures that was quickened to you and share it. And if you want to pray that, you can pray that as well. To me, that's the easiest way to get revelation from God, isn't it? How many of you know God's word is revelation? Amen. And so that's the easiest way. You're, you're men and women of the word. And so usually what happens is when you do that, particularly the scripture, you'll find out that the person is amazed because, oh, that was the very scripture I was reading this morning, or that was God, that's, I've been praying that you'll find. And it becomes a confirmation to that person, and that is the rhema word for that person at that time. Now, you know, if we had more time, we would do some other activation. But I think just in this case, we'll probably take about 10 minutes to do this, but it's enough for you just to minister life as we learned, minister the life of the Spirit into the person. Okay, so how do you do prophetic praying? What is, what is prophetic praying? It's very simply this. Well, normally when you pray for a person, 
what you do is you ask the person, what can I pray for you? Uh, please pray for me. You know, there's, there's conflict in my family. And, uh, you know, we're believing for reconciliation. And so you pray the prayer of faith. And how many of you know God answers that prayer? Remember? Uh, James chapter 5 says, pray the prayer of faith. God will answer your prayer. But prophetic prayer is different in, the, in this sense. It doesn't mean it's better. It's just a different way of praying. And the way you do it is this. Instead of asking the person what this person needs prayer for, you ask the Holy Spirit what to pray for that person. Okay? So, uh, let me see. Let me, give an, let me give a sample. Brother, could you could just come up, please? Okay. I'll practice, okay? So, this is just practice, okay? So, in case I miss it. All right. What's your name? Matt? Okay. So, I, I guess it's the first time we've yeah. talked right now. Okay. I don't know where you're from, but I know you're from here, I guess. Or, or if you're from another country, then I miss it already, okay? But, okay, I'm just going to pray. And the way you pray, I've learned this, you pray by, how, how do you know how to pray? You just pray by pr- starting to pray by prayers of thanksgiving and blessing to that person. And as you begin to do that, you'll find that the Holy Spirit will just nudge you or prompt you to pray for a specific area or situation in their life. And as you do that, you're going to have the flow of what to pray for. It's kind of like speaking in tongues. Okay, it's, you don't have to think beforehand what to pray for, but instead just by faith, you just pray whatever you feel the Holy Spirit prompts you to pray. Okay, and when you do that, it'll, you can just keep going on, okay? And so, let me just demonstrate it, okay? Are, is it okay if I practice on you? Okay? All right. Matt, right? Okay. Father, thank you for my brother Matt. Thank you for the, Lord, for the calling upon his life. Lord, thank you that even in days past, Father, you have brought even a greater clarity about that calling. For there was even a time, Lord, when you were, when he was beginning to see and wrestle with, is this, I under, if, is this my understanding or is there even beyond that? But Lord, thank you that in this hour, you've not only brought a clarity, but you're giving him a vision to enlarge that which you have entrusted to him. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to open a door that no man can shut for him. And he's going to walk in that door and he will see it's a new, it's a whole new way. And it's an, it's an expanded view, uh, uh, expanded dimension of what you've called him to do. Thank you that you have indeed stirred his his uh, faith up in this hour. And Lord, there's even uh, some relational connections that you're putting to him so that they can co-labor together in the work that you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, does that, would you care to explain if that prayer encouraged you or blessed you or did it speak to your situation? Um, Yes, wow. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. If you could care to elaborate, what specific prayer did I pray that touched on your situation? Um, Clarity, the, 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 the prayer and clarity about um, the doors that God is opening in my life right now. Okay. Um, but more than opportunity, just the, the focus of why certain doors have opened over the last few months okay. um, has been something that's really sort of been enlightened to me the, the past few days. Okay. Yeah. Um, related to my studies and related to um, future work opportunities, what, where God wants to place me okay. within that. I'm in a very specific okay. field. And um, even though it's very specific, it's very broad at the same time. So <laughs> um, it's in the field of cultural policy and management. Okay. And um, yeah, looking at looking at that field in particular, there's, okay. there's I, I, your prayer touched on God having revealed to me where specifically within that, you know, He wants me to work. So that's that's what okay. What I can Praise say. God. Praise God. So you were encouraged by. All right. Woo, hallelujah. Okay. You know, to this very day, when you're ministering and prophetically, it's still by faith. 
I, I don't know if I've ever come to a point. Maybe Pastor James has come to that point. But it's all by faith. It's like, Lord, is this really you? And one thing I've learned when you're ministering, whatever, in prophecy, prophetic praying, revelation, sometimes it won't make sense to you, but it doesn't matter because it's not meant for you. It's meant for the other person. See, God wants to speak encouragement to that person, but he needs a mouth, and you're that mouth, right? And so that's all we want to be. And when we learn to minister by the Spirit, it's like we're trying to get out of the way and let God be the one. And let me give you one more tip, and then we'll just do this. Um, I've learned before I pray, I simply ask God, Lord, help me to see this person the way you see him or her. And when you do that, it's like you get out of the way. It's not about you. It's about God and His compassion and His encouragement. And you simply become the mouthpiece and you find that faith works by love. When you have, allow God to see this person, when you, when you allow God to let you see this person the way He sees him, just that love and encouragement pours out to bless that person. So does that give you enough of an idea what to do? So why don't you do this? You designate person number one and then number two and then number three. So person one, first prays for number three, a prophetic prayer. Now let me encourage you this. Pray maybe one to two minutes max. Please don't pray the eternal prayer, okay? Okay. <laughs> And we have plenty of time for eternity to do that. But one to two minutes max. And then after that, the second person, it'll give you time. Just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, give me a scripture to speak faith and encouragement. If you want to pray that as well, if you want to expound on it while you feel that that's the word for them, then you can do so. Take about a minute or two to do that as well. So at least person number three gets a double dose of encouragement, right? And then after that, person number two this time, is the one who's going to receive person one praise and then person. So you'll figure it out, okay? But everyone will end up receiving a prophecy, a prophetic prayer rather, and a, and a scripture encouragement, okay? Is that, is that clear to everyone? So this will take about 10 minutes max, but just agree who start and let's go, let's go for it, all right?